remember out of all the things that God could have done and used, to me symbolically, he used the Red Sea. Literally, they walked through the waters, of course, on dry ground, but they went through the waters. And the Bible actually uses the term that they were baptized. And, and so here comes Pharaoh and all of his army to bring them back under bondage, bring them back to their past. You see that back to their old bondage. And those waters came in on Pharaoh, not on God's people. And God, to me, used baptism waters to just absolutely separate us from our past. The enemy always is trying to drag you back to what you were, back into that old life, into the what the Bible calls the old man, that old way of thinking, that old life. And, uh, and, and I don't know, there's something prophetically spiritual, supernatural about following Jesus in baptism. You know, our baptism is kind of more like Jesus' baptism in the sense that when we are being baptized, there's no sin issue being dealt with because we've already been saved and our sins have been forgiven. How I many knows Jesus was baptized, but he had no sin? But his baptism was one of identity because at his baptism, the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what baptism does is it declares that now we have a new identity in Christ Jesus. We're not with Christ, we're in Christ. And we are a new creation in him. And that that same voice, if you can hear it, speaks over us at our baptism service. Amen. That This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. Isn't that good? That didn't even cost nothing extra. That was just free. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, if you have your Bible and want to read with us. And I wanted to title this today, The Truth About Spiritual Warfare. It's Halloween. I thought I'd speak on it. Hallelujah. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are thoughts, belief systems, things that we believe. And then verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against you getting to know God, the knowledge of God. I mean, I'm talking about knowing the real God, not the religious God but the real God. And then he says this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen? You can be seated. This is one of those verses that most of us have heard taught wrongly so long that when we hear it or read it ourselves or hear it read, we think it says one thing when actually it says something totally different. And it's just plain English, really, if we just read the verse and see what the verse says. Um, you know, when, when Johanna was up here earlier talking and, and, uh, and uh, admonishing us, exhorting us, I, I just want to say this to you because I felt that so strong while she was talking. It just came to me that you remember when David, the shepherd boy, when David first got uh, in his really first uh, public battle, he had fought the lion and the bear and all that stuff, but all that was private stuff. And, uh, and he knew God was with him. And so when he faced his greatest giant, Goliath, 
Of course, Goliath came, and you know, you, you know the story, and I hope you know this, this was a real giant. This was a real big guy. And he got a whole army backing him up. And David says to him, he says, You've come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And David stood there with a, with a slingshot, something so simple, something so, you know, benign really to a warrior that, of course, the giant mocked him and made fun of him and, and told him that I'm going to, you know, you know you, I, I asked for a warrior and you send this dog out here to, to battle me. And, of course, David's response was not arrogant, as some would say, but he was confident in who his God was. And David said, I'm going to feed your flesh to the fowls of the air. <laughs> That's what David told him. And then the Bible says something interesting. David ran towards him. He didn't run from him. And, uh, and that was just such a great victory for all of Israel and for David specifically. And it, it endured him into the heart of the people to be eventually their king. But when David became their king and became the king of Israel, uh, he had enemies to come against him then. And he, he fell to the temptation of the enemy. And remember in the scriptures it said that David numbered his warriors. Now, there was a great uh, problem with this because it brought a, a great devastation upon Israel because this is always our temptation. And I find this a lot of us with Christians. In other words, when you, when you first got born again, I think most of you knew that it's just God, and you and you see God, and you have that childlike faith, and 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 really you hadn't been through what you've been through at that point. You're just a you know new Christian, and you know it's in the Lord. You know the Lord is your strength. You know the Lord's done it. You know the Lord saved you. But if we're not careful, after you've been in this journey a while, like a lot of us, it's very tempting that when you run again into a another problem, another giant that you begin to number your warriors. In other words, you begin to number, you begin to, to rely on your own ability and your own strength and your own wisdom to try to face what you're facing. Y'all just let me know when I start preaching anything that's good. But we, we tend to do that. We tend to number ourselves. Let me tell you how we do it. We're not, we're not counting soldiers, but you number your checkbook. You add up your money. You add up how you're going to deal with it, how you're going to, you know, handle it. You, you number your medical test. You number, there's a lot of things that we look at and we try to figure out how we're going to be victorious in this. And we're relying on our ability and our strength instead of like we used to do when we first got saved. We knew it was God. And well, that's all we had was God. And if God didn't come through, we didn't make it. Anybody remember that? Can I tell you it's still the same way today? Amen? And I, I just feel like I asked for somebody. If you're, if you're sitting here and you're, you're facing something huge, and I know somebody is because you're human, but don't number your warriors. Don't lean on your own understanding and your own strength to defeat this. Just trust God like you did. Go back to that same kind of childlikeness and confidence in God that you had when you first began walking with him. Is that good? This, these verses here where Paul is admonishing the, the Corinthian church, and he uses the term warfare. And sometimes when I talk about this, it kind of bothers people because they, they like to be busy. They like to do stuff. And a lot of us grew up on this and cut our teeth 
on a wrong theology when it comes to spiritual warfare. It's still very popular in the church. I don't think I probably go a week or two without uh, seeing something posted on Facebook and in social media, and people list all kind of things about how to deal with the enemy, and they 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 name all kind of stuff, and just from their background, depending their background, is how they approach you know spiritual warfare. Paul acknowledges there's a war going on here, and there is a battle going on, but it's not in it's not in the heavenlies. The battlefield is in our minds. Um, and Paul warns us in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, sixth chapter, he warns the church. Uh, that's where he talks about, you know, taking on the whole armor of God that we receive when we're born again. But he says that 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 less that we are um, give way to the wiles. He uses a term wiles means schemes of the devil. And the devil does have plans. He has uh, schemes, and and what he uses is lies. The Bible says his cunningness. Uh, his uh, uh, subtleness, his craftiness. Uh, uh, why did Paul warn the church about those things? Uh, frankly, because that's all Satan has. That's, that's all he's got. Uh, he has no power. He has no authority except that that we give him by believing his lies. In other words, if you believe a lie uh, of the enemy, then you empower the liar. So all he has is deception. So how does Satan try to deceive us? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, but I fear, he says, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve. He uses that example. Paul said, I fear lest it, somehow, just like the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, he says, so that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And he said, so right there, Paul is acknowledging the wars in your mind. And he said Satan's strategy is to, to distract you and to remove you from the simplicity, not the complicationness of Christ, but the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Satan aims to corrupt our minds from that simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And, and so in other words, he's trying to make us think that the gospel and us living this life is harder than it really is. He complicates things and he confuses things. And I grant you, if you listen to some preachers talk, I mean, it sounds like, you know, they're trying to explain trigonometry to us, how to just live this life. And, it, it you know, it's so confusing. I don't know if you've ever met with people like that, but I've sat with people and, and, I've, and I've talked to them. I've, I've sat with people, I've I, I known this several times in my life, and I've sat there with another person for an hour and, you know, and I don't count myself as like the smartest guy in the world, but not the dumbest either. And I'm like, I don't even know what in the world they're talking about. I mean, they're talking to talk to me about spiritual stuff. And, and it's like it's just like a cob, cobweb of just dumbness. I mean, I, I've sat at restaurants with them and I've left there. And I, I said, I don't even know what in the world. I mean, there, there's no simplicity of Jesus Christ in anything that they're saying. And, and that's what Satan wants us to do. He you know, he, he, he complicates things and confuses things and, and he'll do whatever he has to do to distract us away from the simplicity in Jesus. And, and listen to this, Satan will actually encourage us in spiritual warfare. He loves spiritual warfare conferences. Yeah, amen. He and I'm not saying you should never have one, but you should have one to do it and teach him what I'm teaching you the truth about spiritual warfare. Um, 
that you know spiritual warfare as is presented today by most of the church is actually a ploy of the devil. In other words, he, 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 Christians are encouraged to not preach the gospel but just to pray uh, instead. And, 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 and you might wonder why would Satan, uh, you know, want Christians to pray. Listen, Satan don't care how, uh, how much you pray as long as you are praying fruitless religious prayers. In other words, as long as you're praying and you're asking God for what you already have. Because through our ignorance, we, we've not been told what we have. And I know you hear me mention these things and reference these things often. But, but I spent so much, so many decades of my Christian experience praying for things that I already have in Christ, and, but I didn't know it. Because the church told me I didn't have it. And you've heard me mention some of them, but I'll just mention a couple of them. In other words, we pray for the mind of Christ. How many of you ever heard a Christian pray, Lord, we just ask you to give us the mind of Christ? Absolutely dumb prayer. Fruitless prayer, benign prayer, because the Bible never says to pray for the mind of Christ, and nobody in the Bible ever prayed for the mind of Christ. Thank you for that holy hush. It's not in there. But see, when I make statements like that, you, you think that it's in there, and that's why you're scared to say amen. The apostle Paul taught us, for you have, for we have. He says, we have. Not that we will get if we pray for it. We have the mind of Christ. When did you get it? When you got born again. Where is that mind? In your spirit. The Bible says don't be double-minded. A double-minded, double means how many minds? Two. If you go get a double scoop of ice cream, how many scoops are they going to give you? Come on, help me somebody. You're getting two. So it, it says you have a natural mind. What does the New Testament teach us about our natural brain, our natural mind? Just an educated mind, not, not a mind full of, of, you know, no, just a natural mind. It says the natural mind is an enemy against God. Is that what, thank you, Ken. Is that what it says, the rest of you? The natural mind is an enemy against God because it does not know the things of God, neither can it know them, it doesn't believe them. That's why our mind is in the process, our natural mind is being renewed. Your spiritual mind don't need to be renewed because it's already renewed. It's, it's a gift to you. So in, in, we want to lean upon the spiritual mind that we have. But see, if you as a Christian don't believe you have the mind of Christ, guess what you'll do? You'll spend hours praying for it. You might even fast for it. And you know what will happen? You'll never get it. And God will never speak to you about it. You know why? Because you already have it. He's like, uh, read my book. Another one, we pray for open heavens. You get a bunch of preachers together, one of them's probably going to pray that the heavens will be open. Because in their mind, they perceive that it's closed. I remember I had a, a pastor, I won't name the town, because people, you know, anyway. But there's a town, you know, an hour or so from here. And I went and met with some pastors there. And at one point, I had a church that I gave oversight to in that city. And uh, actually, I, I was meeting with the pastors. And, and, and several of these pastors had been told that there was, a, there was a cloud over their city. And, and one of the pastors told me, he said, Brother, it's just hard here. And he named the town. It's hard here. You know, it's, you know, it's just like the heavens are sealed. You know. And, uh, and so he had convinced himself that he was not going to be successful pastoring in that city because of the demonic cloud. up here see if you believe a lie you'll live a lie 
But the Bible teaches us, see, so you, like, you may be thinking, you know, well, isn't there a prayer that we're supposed to pray that the heavens will be open? Yeah, it's in Isaiah 64.1 where the prophet said, Oh, Lord, that thou would rent the heavens, rip them apart, and come down. In other words, the prophet Isaiah said, Lord, please open the heavens. Just rip them apart and come down. Oh, that you would do that. He was prophesying about the day that really that we've already mentioned, Jesus' baptism. And literally in the Greek, when it says, when it, at Jesus' baptism, it says, and the heavens were opened. That's a nice King James way of saying it. But literally in the Greek, it says the heavens were ripped apart. And the Holy Spirit in a bodily form as a dove descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ and remained on him. And the Father spoke audibly from heaven. Listen, I don't know about you, but that's a huge deal. And the heavens were open. And subsequently, there is not one verse nor a hint of a verse that ever says, now when, when that service was over, God sowed the heavens back up. Nobody has a closed heaven over you, not on your job, not on your family, not on your business, not on your marriage, not on your church, not on your ministry, not on your life. And if the heavens are closed, it's because you believe a lie and you live a lie. And you walk out of your house as if you're defeated. You walk out of your house like it's going to be hard today. Oh, Lord, that thou would open heaven. God's never going to answer that prayer because the heavens are open. He's like, you know, and, and in fact, if you read Revelation, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, I, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. The door is standing. Who's the door? Jesus. Jesus said, the heaven's wide open, baby. No doors closed. Only between your ears. If you believe the enemy. And so you can have, you can, you know, that's a warfare conference. Let's pray that the Lord will open the heavens over our city. Busy work, dumb work, fruitless work, benign work. Hello, welcome to Grace Point. We are so happy <coughs> that you've joined us. You see how this makes religious people so angry? Because I take away all their toys. And I can just name them all day. You, you pray for stuff that you have. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us, Father, as we go from this place. You know the prayer your grandpa prayed for, they turn you loose to go eat chicken. Brother so-and-so, give us the benediction. Lord, we just ask that you would be with us as we go from here. You know what God says to that prayer? Oh, so you're calling me a liar, huh? Because I wrote it in my book that I would never leave you. And I would never forsake you. But now here you are standing in front of God and my people. And you're asking me to be with you. Because you don't believe I am. You thought you came in this building and visited with me. You think I live here. This is not my house. You're my house. This is not my temple. You're my temple. For the Lord does not occupy temples made with hands. New Testament verses, y'all. For we are the temple of the Lord. Know you not, Paul said, that you are the temple of the Lord. And the Lord dwells with you. You are one spirit with the Lord. If you go in, a, if you go in any vile place you can imagine, God goes right with you in there. He don't stop at the door. The Lord's with you. He'll never leave you. That means God's not grieved by our sin, and I mean, but God's not mad with you. He's grieved just like a, a parent would be with their kids. 
it grieves their heart for them for the kids to do stuff that's going to hurt them. It doesn't make them happy. The parents don't go, yay. I mean, no, they don't want them doing that. Uh, you know, we can spend all kind of energy constantly battling the devil in ways that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. And, 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 and we're trying to defeat Satan, but the truth is, and a lot of Christians don't know this, but the truth is Satan has already been defeated. I would just like to announce that. It's already written in the book, but I would just, Jesus defeated him, y'all. <laughs> I mean, he, uh, we, we don't need to defeat him again. He's already been defeated. Uh, the only weapon Satan has is the power we give him when we believe him and we believe his life. And, and, and listen, you've you got to know this fact. We, we must know that warfare of any kind only takes place between two undefeated foes. Okay? Once an enemy has been conquered, then the war is over. And, and Satan is a defeated foe. He, he's been defeated. Uh, now, I didn't always know that. And I, I remember, I'm just going to say this. I don't know how much redemptive value, but hey, I got the mic and I'm just going to tell it. Uh, I told you one time, I have told you this. The next thing I'm going to tell you, I haven't never told you. But I, I told you this one time, as a young, younger pastor, I uh, started our, our, my church in, in Sparks Cornerstone and, and I started that in 1991. And, and, uh, but I was still the chief of the emergency medical service in Tifton, so I was still working five days a week and uh, pastoring too and, and just, you know, just having a blast really. And I, but, you know, it seemed like there would be times that, that they would be, you know, like I, I would spiritual warfare, I guess you'd say. The enemy would seemingly, you know, try to launch some, some salvos at us here and, you know, and have, we have, have some battles. And, uh, and I remember, I, I told you this, I came home one Sunday after our service, we didn't have Sunday night service, and it was it was pretty late. It was ten thirty or so on a Sunday night. I had a, a phone call at my home, and and back then, you know, remember when we had house phones and, and all that stuff, and, and so it was easy. Look in the phone book, you can look me up, and so th uh, this woman called and and got me on the phone, you, you know, and she said, "You're the pastor," and, and I said, "Yeah," and she said that uh, she said, "I'm a, I just want you to know I'm a witch uh, with Wicca. I'm a, a witch." And uh, I want you to come to this motel. She named a motel uh, in the town there. And she wanted me to come deliver her of her demons. And, uh, you know, so it's 1030 at night, Sunday night. She wants me to come out here to the motel room and deliver her of her demons. And I told you probably Sister Jill wasn't going to let me go do that uh, and meet a woman at 1030 at night at a motel and deliver her of her demons. And so I told the lady, and I was kind, and, I'm, and, and my heart goes out. And I believe, you know, the devil's real. I'm not saying he's not real. But, you know, uh, I said, how long have you been a witch? And she, you know, it's years. And I said, well, you probably had the demons for a long time. I mean, I'll just, you know, one more night ain't going to kill you. I'll meet you in the morning. And uh, you can set up, and we'll meet at the church, and my secretary will meet with us. And, 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 you know, we'll deal with it tomorrow. And uh, that made, she didn't like that. That made her very angry. And then she began to uh, curse me. She did throw in some curse words, but when I say curse me, she began, she, began, she began to pronounce curses on me. And she said, I curse your family. I curse your 
and she just went down the line, and she was just, she was just full speed, hundred mile an hour, just letting it roll. I cursed, you know, I cursed your children. I mean, she was just, she was cursing everything I had, and uh, and I don't know, I'm just weird. I, I get it, but sometimes when the enemies met, so I just, I don't know. I, I call it supernatural laughter, you know. Anyway, I just, it just, it just hit me funny. Right in the middle of all that, she just pronouncing curse after curse after curse. <laughs> I, did, it just, I just burst out laughing. I, I, you know, I don't. It, she wasn't saying nothing funny, but it was just like the Bible says God laughs at His enemies, and I, I think there's something to that. And I just bust out, started laughing, uh, and she didn't like that either. And, and when I started laughing, and she she stopped all the, you know, I curse you, I curse your ministry, I curse your children. And I started laughing, and she said, why are you laughing? I said, because you're not very good at this. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? I said, because if you knew anything about the spiritual realm, you would know my God is so much greater than your God. And, 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 and then I told her, I said, and you would also know, I said, you would also know that every curse you speak to me, God turns into a blessing. So I said, in actuality, all you're doing is blessing me. Can I say she hung up then? But I didn't have to go meet her at the hotel or nothing, so I just continued watching TV or whatever I was doing. And then it wasn't long after that, and I'm, I promised I'm not making this up. My wife, you know, I hardly ever tell a story because it's just kind of weird in a way. But so I, I'm, I'm the chief of the ambulance service. I was living in, in Cook County, so I drive the, the interstate, the Interstate 75, every day, and I had been doing it for years I, I started working there in 1979 so I, I'd been doing it for a decade you know so, so many times so I traveled that interstate all the time you know to north to Tifton south back home north to Tifton and you see some stuff traveling the interstate so I, I was on a Wednesday night I was coming to church and I was teaching on things like what I'm talking about now but the enemy don't like me exposing his stuff he, he, you know he doesn't really like that I'm not worried about it but I just know he doesn't like it and so I was coming home, and this is going to sound so weird, but I promise you it happened, unless I was in some kind of trance, and I don't think I was. But I was driving, coming home Wednesday night, and I was thinking about the service and stuff, and just going to get home, get changed, get to church. And so here pulls up beside me a car with two real scraggly-looking guys in there, and the car is painted like a zebra, black and white stripes. It looks like it needs to be out at Wild Adventures or, you know, Bush Gardens or something like that. And literally, I'm telling you guys, on the front hood, uh, you know, what a, you know, they had a, a goat skull with horns as their hood emblem, I guess you would say. And then, on, and, and so, I mean, that gets your attention because you don't normally see cars like that on I seventy five, and especially with two scraggly dudes. And then I'm, I'm telling you the truth: on the back windshield or the back glass of the car, it was an older car, but it had wrote in white, like you know, people write just married and stuff. It had wrote like that. It says, it's time to die, you know. And so I'm driving, and here they are. I'm talking about, that's weird. These guys are weird. Got a goat skull on the car. You know, it's all the devil stuff, you know. And they're just looking at me like they just hate me. And I mean, I'm, just, I'm going home. I worked all day. I'm going home. And so see the guys, and they get right by me, and they, and they don't. They just stay there. So I speed on up. They speed up. 
I slow down, they slow down. So now I know you're messing with me. Because now I know that you're not just passing by. I mean, I'm trying to shake you because you're bothering me. Your whole vehicle bothers me. And your face is in the vehicle bothering me. And I want you to go on home or wherever you're going. And so we do this a little bit. You know, I got 30 minutes of riding to get home. And the same thing happened to me. So I'm thinking, this is just the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, it's like Satan's trying to make, you know, he, he, I don't know if it, these are his dudes or not, but he sure used them trying to evoke fear on me, like, you know, it's your time to die, whatever. And the same thing happened. I'm looking over there, and I'm looking at this guy, and, this guy, and the pastor guy's just staring. And all of a sudden, this, I don't know, I'm called a spirit of laughter. I, it just hit me. I just started laughing. I thought this is the dumbest, greatest thing I've ever seen. And I just bust in laughing. It was just like a joyful, just a belly. I just began to just laugh. <laughs> I'm like, look at you. And when I did that, boy, they laid to the gas and went on down the road. And, I, and of course, I went to church, and I had to tell it that when it's not church because it was just cool, too cool not to tell, you know. And, and it was like the enemy was trying. See, he always uses fear. Now, some people would have just freaked out like that, and they would have had to have, you know, a deliverance counseling session from the pastor because that happened. Listen, the enemy has been defeated. We're not trying to defeat him. He's already been defeated. And we're, listen, and we're not fighting for victory. We do fight. But the Bible, listen, the Bible never tells you to fight the devil, not one time. See, now I knew I wasn't going to get nothing on that because you think it does. It doesn't tell you to fight him. There's not a verse in the New Testament that tells you to fight the devil. It tells you to resist him. And it says if you resist him, he will do what? He will flee from you just by you resisting him. Now, how do you resist him? That's open for debate on how you resist him. I mean, you can resist him by just renouncing the lie. Uh, you can just say out if you, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, you know. Doctor says you're going to die. You should quote the scripture. It says, "I shall live and not die," and, and declare the works of the Lord. You know, there. So, so what Satan fears more than anything else, because this is what sets all people free, is the truth, and the truth of God. The truth. Jesus said, "You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free." And so that's what Satan don't want, don't want us to do. So, J Jesus not not only beat the devil, but listen to Colossians two fifteen. It, it says, "Having disarmed." principalities and powers. Now the Bible says in the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that God, through Jesus Christ, has disarmed principalities and powers. He made a, listen to this, not only did he do that, but then he threw a parade. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, so Paul is quoting here the way the Romans would do when they defeated a foreign enemy. They would actually march that enemy uh, through the city so that all the people could see that you never have to worry about this guy and his army anymore. He is defeated. And they would have a parade, and they would march that defeated enemy through the city. That's what God is talking about here, that Jesus, not only did he defeat the enemy at the cross, but he put him on public display that he's defeated. He, 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 he marched him through, so, you know, and he wanted you as his children to see, guys, he's been defeated by me. You don't have to, he's not your problem anymore. 
Now, he, I'm not saying he's not your adversary. Uh, listen to Colossians 2.15. This is the message uh, translation. Listen to what the message Bible I just think it's cool the way uh, they interpreted this. The message translation of Colossians 2.15 says, He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. <laughs> That's what it says. And, and, and so, so, you know, Jesus totally conquered the enemy. And, and Satan should never terrify us again. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians have missed that parade. And they don't realize that the enemy's been defeated. Now listen, Satan is still alive, and we do have to reckon with him, but only because he's got so many lies circulating about the power against us. Now I want to tell you, when I was a young Christian, I saw God here, the devil here, and them duking it out, and I'm in the middle. And that's just not the accurate picture of what the Bible teaches us. He promised that if we would resist the devil, James 4, 7, that the devil would flee from us. And, and, and so you, you don't have to enlist the prayers of a million Christians to fast and pray to bind the powers of the enemy. And listen, and you don't have to go to any place or any spot or any ground and try to disarm principalities and powers because they've already been disarmed. Now, I want to tell you something that's arrogant, and Christians don't mean to. And listen, I lived that, and I got caught up in some of that, and, you know, and I, would, I would do this stuff with people. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in praying, and I believe in all those things. And I'm not saying prayer is insignificant by no means. I, I'm, you know, Paul said he, he, bes he besought the church. He said, I, I pray that you, you know, that, that you would pray for me. And, and then he told one church, he said, I know that through your prayers this situation will turn. And, and, and Paul believed in prayer, and he valued the prayer of the New Testament church. And, and we should too. But pray the right kind of prayer and fight the right kind of battle. The fight that you and I are involved in, the Bible, the only thing it tells us to fight is fight the good fight of faith. Stay in the faith. Stay in the simplicity of the cross. Keep believing in the word of God. Keep believing in Jesus. Stand on the word of God and, 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 keep, and stand on the, the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. And don't get caught up in that. We'll say, well, we want you to go and we, we want to go to this certain place and we want, to, we want to march and pray and disarm and pull down the principalities. Well, see, what you don't realize you're doing is when you say you have to go somewhere and disarm and pull down principalities and powers, what you're saying is that Jesus didn't do it. You're saying Jesus left something undone. You're saying Jesus lied when he said it is finished because it ain't finished because now you've got to go finish it. In other words, he didn't completely destroy and defeat the enemy. Now you've got to go do something to defeat the enemy in that location or in that house or in that. Listen, now I, I get it. Principalities and powers are real, and I'm not saying they're not real, but they've been defeated. Now what, what re-empowers, what re-arms a disarmed enemy? Why would you want to re-arm somebody that the weaponry's been taken from them? How do you do that? Now, if there are certain people in certain cities and locations and countries and nationalities and they believe the lie of the enemy and they live that lie and they believe that lie, then the, listen, in that, in that locale, they empower that lie. They empower that lie. And I'm not saying it's not real power. They empower the liar. Satan can't do anything without somebody believing his lies. He, he just can't. No more than God can do anything without us believing in his truth. And, and, and so, so the, the Bible tells us that, that, that look to Jesus. See, that's one of the lies that, that I hate that a lot of us got caught up in. 
you know, because people don't have, and that's why I wrote about it in my book, people don't have confidence that God's a good father. They see God like some judge on a throne that you have to impress with numbers. And so when a crisis hits them, and, and listen, and I'm not again, man, I get so tired of getting emails from crazy people. So I'm not saying that your prayer chain at your church is demonic. Could be. But I'm not saying it is. So I'm not against prayer chains. I've been accused of that. I'm not against that. I'm against the thought that you have to have a prayer chain to get God to do something. In other words, if you believe that you got to go to that guy or to that sister or to this person to get them to pray for your problem because they're closer to God than you are, then that's, that's demonic. There's nobody closer to God than the other guy. There, there's no, I'm close, and that guy's really close, and I'm super close to God. None of that is true. That's all lies, people, and knock it off. It's lies. Well, you need to, well, I tell you, that guy's close to the Lord. Well, what are you? Well, I, I'm, not, I just, I'm not as close as that guy. Why? Well, he prays a lot, and he does a lot of stuff. Yeah? Is that what makes you close, doing stuff? How many chapters do you have to read to be close to God? How many hours do you have to pray? One hour, is that close? Or, or like a guy plays four hours. If a guy, one, one guy plays one hour and one guy plays four, is the four-hour guy praying, is he closer? See, all that's demonic. And it blasphemes and impugns the name of God. The Bible says in Ephesians, Paul said, now you once were without God in this world and without hope. You were once away, far away from God, and you were outside the commonwealth of Israel and all the covenant blessings of God. But now you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is it that the Bible says brings us close to God? The blood of Jesus. So if the blood of Jesus is what brought you close, tell me what is more powerful than the blood of Jesus that makes you not close. Listen, I get it, people. Sometimes we don't feel close to God. When a guy cuts you off in traffic and you just cussed him out, even in your mind or even in your car because you was by yourself, you talked about his mom, his grandmama, and everybody because he about made you had a wreck. Right at that moment, you probably don't feel super close to God, but you are just as close as you'll ever be. When you, when you believe the lie and you, imp and, and, and you do sin, you don't feel close to God, but you still are if you're his kid because you're in Christ. I've told you that, and I've used this example, and you may get weary of it. I can't think of anything better. You don't have to pray to be close to the cornerstone sanctuary. You're in it. It would be so dumb for me to gather you together, and we all, I want you all to all come to the altar, and let us pray that we will be close, closer to the sanctuary at Grace Point Church. You're like, this guy's losing it, man. We're in the building. Duh. Well, it's what you do as Christians. Lord, I just want to be closer to you. You're in Christ, dude. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You're in Christ. How much closer than you can be than in? You in. Live like you're in. 
Talk like you're in. Believe like you're in. Stop trying to get close to God. Boy, I remember when I wrote a blog on that and put it on my website. You know, this, you know, you know stop trying to get close to God. Oh, good God, here they come. Come on, a pile on a brother. They'll pile up on me with the emails. No, dude, you're not closer to God than I am. And I'm not closer to God than you because I'm a preacher. We're all, you're either in Christ or you ain't. Being close to God is like pregnant. You either is or you ain't. You ain't a little pregnant. You either is or you ain't. You ain't a little saved. You, you either saved or lost. You alive or dead. You in Christ or you in Adam. Knock off all the religious stuff. Hello. <laughs> I love doing this. I love my job. So live like you're in Christ and stop doing all that stuff. That guy's closer to the Lord. Get that guy to pray. Oh, well, it's a real desperate situation. Listen, my heart goes out, cancer, all these things. I, listen, my heart goes out, and I understand that desperate people act crazy. I've been desperate a few times in my life. I mean, when I was going through a real tough time, when, you know, when I got, first got promoted to chief, and went through, it's too long a story, I don't, I don't have time today. But I remember I was, I was vulnerable to a lot of Christians' advice. I mean, one guy told me that because of all the battle I was going through and I was, I was depressed and I, I, was, I had physical problems and I'd been put in the hospital, and the guy told me I needed to stand on my Bible, you know, with my bare feet and pray a certain prayer. Now, I know that sounds stupid, but back then I did it because I'm throwing up every day of my life and I'm sick, I'm losing weight, I, I'm depressed, I don't understand, I'm supposed to be a Christian, I don't know what's going on in my life. And so here, here would come these people with these suggestions. So I remember standing in my house in Tifton, um, standing, putting my Bible on the floor, barefooted. I'm doing it by myself. I don't have an audience, you know. And, and I prayed the prayer that the guy said pray, and I rebuked, you know, whatever, and I, I didn't get any better. And I, and I didn't know why, because he told me to do it. And he seemed like he knew what he was talking about, because somebody told me that guy there was close to the Lord. So I perceived he was a lot closer, and he had a more straight line to God than I did. So I did what he said. It didn't work. And then so another person at my church told me that I needed to anoint every door and window in my house. So I did. I went and bought me a big bottle of olive oil. Shook that baby up. And I'm going to tell you something. We're laughing now. But I was dead serious, baby, when I was doing it. And I went around to every house that we were renting in Tifton for me and wife. And I anointed every door, threshold. I know everything. My house smelled like olive oil. You thought we was Italian. And I didn't get any better. Tried that one. So you got to be careful what you tell people that's going through something. Because they're hurting and all they want is cured. And, and we, here we come with all this crazy stuff. Somebody told me if you go out. And I remember one time one of my kids was going through a real tough time. And a guy in my church told me that I need to march around my house, you know, and, uh, seven times. And encircle my house and march around it seven times. Pray this prayer. If you do that, then your kid will stop being tormented at night and he'll sleep through the night. And, 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 man, my, and my kid, I forget how old he was then, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, but he was being tormented and stuff. And, and as a dad, I didn't know what, you know, I was wanting him, I just wanting him to be a kid. 
And, I, and the brother, at least, he came and said, I'll come march with you. So I figured it's going to work. I mean, he's where he, and you know, it was raining the night we had our march scheduled. We marched in the rain. But see, some of y'all right here, you see, because see, I'm, you, some of you have done that and some of you still do that stuff. Well, if I tell you just rub a rabbit's foot three times, stand up here and whist, whistle Dixie backwards, will you do that? Same stuff, y'all. Same stuff. We say, well, they did that in the Bible. Yeah, Old Testament. Make sure which book we're talking about here now. We're not under the Old Covenant no more. We, we, that, that, we, it's different now. Now, I ain't saying God can still do stuff that looks pretty weird and, 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 and God can impress upon you in that moment. But like he told the Apostle Paul, or, or it wasn't so much he told Paul, the people, in other words, they, they saw Paul being so used of God that they brought handkerchiefs and aprons and asked Paul to pray over those handkerchiefs and aprons and they sent them to the people. And I'm not saying that's demonic, but I'm saying a lot of the church has mocked that and with no results. And, and, and the Bible wasn't teaching this is a method that you use from here on out and we need to have a handkerchief and aprons ministry. See how quiet it gets. And I'm not opposed to that. And I have seen that kind of stuff work. I've had people come up and bring me a handkerchief and say, would you put this in your pocket while you preach today? And I've done it. And they said they went and laid it on their loved one and, 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 and they were healed. And I believe them. But that handkerchief ain't healing nobody, y'all. But what God does, and, 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 and faith has response. Faith is tangible. Faith can be seen, the results of faith. So you, you got to take what I'm saying in balance here. I'm not saying that you should never do anything like that. But I'm saying I marched around my house seven times in the rain, and nothing happened. And my kid was still just as tormented. Because I was not really looking to God, I was looking to a method. I was wanting a formula to fix the problem. And God won't respond to formulas. It's like the woman that, I've told you this over and over, the woman that, that has a demonized daughter. And, and the Bible, and see, so we miss these little nuances. The Bible says she is a, a, a Syrophoenician woman, which means she's non Jewish, she's Gentile. Gentiles don't have no blessings at this time. Okay, this is Jesus still new walk. Jesus said, I've come to the Jews, to the children of Israel, and to them only. So, so she's on the corner of the, you know, by the street, and Jesus is passing by, and she says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Remember that one? I'll do, I'll do this quick. Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and, and the disciples tell the woman, shut up. Because you're a Gentile. You ain't, you ain't in this, baby. This ain't, this ain't none of your stuff. Hush. You're not a Jew. This is for the Jews. You're not a Jew. Hush. She gets louder. Uh, finally, they said to Jesus, send this woman away for she bothers us. <laughs> now it's like she's getting on our nerves. Jesus don't talk to the woman. He don't address the woman. Jesus just makes this statement. He said, it is not right for me to give the children's bread no, first off, before he said that, the Bible says, he, Jesus hears this woman, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this is what the Bible says, he answered her not a word. They are prayers that Jesus won't answer because it will only enforce your religion. Jesus answered her not a word. That seems mean. 
Jesus ain't, he don't even pay no attention. He, that's called ignoring them. What we call it in the South, he igged her. He ignored her. He ignored her prayer. Why would Jesus ignore your prayer? Because you're praying wrong. You got a wrong view of who you're praying to. He ignored it. And then Jesus, this woman will not shut up. So then Jesus says this out loud where she can hear it because she hears it in response to the statement. Jesus said, it is not right for me to give the children's bread to Jews to the dogs to the Gentiles. You can't purdy that up Sunday morning. He called the woman a dog. The most offensive thing that you could call a person in that time period, in that culture, was a dog. It ain't like now, what's up, dog? It, none of that. Okay? When Jesus said that, if any woman should have flipped the finger to him and went to, back to the house, it should have been that woman. But that woman's desperate because she's got a demonized girl. And she don't care if the guy's Baptist, Methodist, Pispay, Nazarene, Tangerine. She just wants her daughter healed. That's a mama's love, buddy. And she stands there and she says, yay, Lord. When she says, yay, Lord, she's literally saying, you got me. You, you busted me. You're right. Because that woman knew. See, we don't know because we, we've lost our Jewish roots. But she knew. She said, yay, Lord, rightly have you said. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This is only the second person in the entire New Testament that Jesus ever bragged on for faith. He said, woman. Great is thy faith. Go your way. Your daughter is made well. Man, there's, my hairs are pushing my coat off my back right now. You know what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit you're feeling in that ain't air conditioning. God is not mean. He's not cruel ever. He was trying to get her to put confidence in his goodness, not in her Jewishness, not in her religion. Not in praying the exact right words to in the right prayer. He was just trying to get her into faith in him, in his goodness, that he's a good God, that's a good daddy, that loves people. And so he had to extract her. Because listen, this Gentile woman was trying to what we call front. She was trying to present a false picture. She was trying to use the Jewish religion to get her daughter healed. She was again trying to get a formula to work for her. And Jesus said, I'm not playing that girl. You can't get me to work because you're Jewish, you're Gentile, or a formula, or cold. No, 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 none of that. I'm good all by myself. I don't need all that. You just need to look to me to help your daughter. Just look to my goodness to help her. And, and, and that's, I mean, even my granddaughter Addie's clapping on that one, glory to God. <laughs> that's how good God is. I love that story. I'd like to go to a thousand churches and just preach that little bit right there because that's how, you know, that's how good God is. There's a lot of Christians who don't even know why Jesus called a woman a dog. They don't even know. They say, I don't know why. They don't even know. God loves you, man. You, you don't have to impress him. Somebody, I don't never try to impress God anymore. I used to, not no more. I don't even try to impress him with my Bible study, with my fasting, with my prayer life. You know, I got two holes, war side of my bed where my knee, knock it off, dude. All that stuff, I've read all those books, okay? E.M. Bounds, no, no, okay, yeah, you prayed a lot. But see, that's because you thought you had to. I pray real quick and get a lot done. Because <laughs> I got a good daddy. 
And I don't waste time praying stuff I already got now. I just thank you. I used to, oh, God, would you just anoint me today? I pray for your anointing, Lord. Oh, and I don't know what I'm doing. I never pray for the anointing anymore. It just really has freed up my prayer time. I, I can't tell you the hours I used to beg God for the anointing. Never again do I pray for the anointing. Because you know what? I actually read in the Bible where I already got it. Man, I feel like I was ripped off for decades. And three places in the New Testament, Paul says, for you have an anointing. For the anointing which you have, that we have received. Not the anointing that you will get if you fast and pray. And preachers everywhere praying every week, oh, for the anointing. Oh, and God never answers that prayer because you already have it. You know what I do now? Real quick, I did it this morning. It's a real fast prayer. I, this is what I did. Father, I thank you for the anointing that I've received in Christ Jesus. And I just pray that I would yield to that anointing today as I go to that pulpit. I just thank him for it. I never again say, oh, Lord, would you go with us from this place? If you're going to pray a prayer, I told you to pray this. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you go with us from this place as we leave here today. Thank you that you'll never leave us, never forsake us, because I don't want my granddaughter here and you asking God to go with us because that makes her believe that you're not with us all the time. And I want her to grow up knowing that God's with us 24-7, seven, seven days a week. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. So don't pray them little benign, fruitless, ridiculous, religious, ritualistic, traditional prayers. That have no power. Amen? Okay, I, I got to quit. I got just a couple of minutes. Let me just, let me make a couple of statements, then I'll be done. Number one, the Bible is a book about God, not the devil. Never forget that. The Bible is a book about God, about Jesus Christ specifically, not about the devil. Satan is real. However, he is not our biggest problem. I have found the enemy. It is I. Right? The Bible says our greatest enemy is ourself, our flesh. Our flesh. It is, it is lies from the old. Paul said, put on the new man. Don't be, don't, don't, don't think like the old person. Don't, 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 don't think like, but renew your mind, but don't think like you used to, to, to think. Okay? Now, the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, it says the problem is the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, sometimes we, it's hard to distinguish which and what's going on there. But the biggest problem that, that I have and that you have is our own flesh and our own unbelief in the Word of God. Uh, I've, I've made this point strong. The enemy that we face is a defeated foe. He's defeated. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Okay? From Christ's victory. Uh, the warfare that... You that's being taught by a lot of the church still today is the devil's attempt to deceive and divide believers and turn believers against each other and distract us. I saw somebody the other day, they posted a book. I won't necessarily name the book. Many of us have read it. It circulated widely through our churches, and, and, it, and it focuses us on the devil, and it, makes, it magnifies the devil, and, it, and it, it, it exalts the devil, and we have a big devil and a little God. That is not the case. Um, and, and so warfare is the devil's attempt to try to, to get us involved in things that are not scriptural, that are not biblical, and to deceive us and actually to divide us into these camps of what we believe. Another one that is real popular, you go online, you go to Amazon, and you type generational curses. 
you're going to be inundated with books on how for you as a New Testament Christian to break your generational curses. They're going to con- they, they start from the premise that first off you are under a curse, even as a believer, and that you need to do something in order to break those curses of your, your genealogy, your generation. Uh, I spent much time, I spent a couple of decades, really, I'm, I'm being serious, with, with other people that didn't know any better, no more than I did, trying to convince me that the reason that I was having so many problems is because of the, the Cherokee blood that rose through my veins. Because my great-grandmother was full-blooded Cherokee Indian, and because that's my background, therefore is the reason that my youngest son had heart problems. So when my youngest son was 18, right about his 18th birthday, we found out he had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is the thickening of the heart. And I'm talking about now, he's 33 now, just turned 33 this month. But back when he was 18, and of course I had the church, and we had several scary, horrendous times where I stood at his bed at at the foot of the emergency room you know, I was 20 years as a medic, but I had my hand on his ankles and, and, and praying is my best prayer for my son. And I remember one time I said to the nurses, I was watching the monitors, and I was watching his blood pressure drop to 80 over 40, and I watched it drop one time to 70 over 30 because of the medicine they were giving him trying to get that heart back in rhythm. And I remember I said to the doctor, please don't kill him trying to save him. And the doctor just looked at me. I stood there and prayed for him several times. I followed an ambulance with red lights on it all the way to Emory University with him in it. We've had horrible times. Come back to church, met with people, met with people that said, you know, they want to pray for my son. And, and then here a guy tells me this because, you know, I got Cherokee blood. And I need to break that curse. So what do I do? I go to my prayer cabin and I spend days and weeks and fasting and trying to get rid of the Indian blood out of me, I guess. I can't believe I was that stupid. But I was desperate. I just want to see my kid healed, man. So I renounced everything I had to do with Cherokee. If I had anything in my house that even looked like an Indian, I throwed it out. You know what I'm saying? That's the spirit of stupid, y'all. And a lot of us get caught up with that. Now, that stuff I'm not going to allow in my house. You're not going to bring no Ouija board or Ouija board or whatever you call it. I've never done it, never played it, ain't going to, get know enough about it that I'm just not interested. So I'm not going to set one up on the coffee table, okay? But I'm not scared of that board. I'm not scared of the word. And I'm not scared of Satan. Okay? All I'm saying is that has nothing to do with nothing. And, and let me just say this, and I'll try to, no preacher can ever teach generational curses or generational curses theology from the New Testament. That should be a warning to us. If they can only, if they, if all they have is the old covenant, there's something wrong because there is a new covenant now, and we're under a new covenant. Anybody that I've ever sat under that taught me that about generational curses always went to the Old Testament and pulled out things and applied it wrongly and tried to convince me. And they did convince me that I had I was cursed generationally. You know, let me tell you something that can happen in generations. Uh, they, there's generational habits. I mean, you 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 can you know if your if your grandfather was an alcoholic 
and then his son, you know, your, your, your father was an alcoholic. You, you have a propensity to lean towards that, not because of some curse, but just out of habit. That's what you, environment. You, you, you've been around that. You've seen that. You've experienced that, and you saw them turn to that, so you likely, if you get under pressure, you may do, just like Abraham lied about his wife. Then his son Isaac told the same lie, and then his son Jacob, whole life was a lie. You see how that kind of runs in families? But it's not so much a curse as it's just they, they've seen it. It's a habit. You, you understand? But So I just want you to know today that you, your problem is not because you're under a curse. You may feel like you're under a curse. You may have a lot of things that have hit you and a lot of things that seem like in sequence have hit you, and, and you can get convinced, well, I, I just think we're under a curse. I mean, I still have Christians that they tell me, I just think, brother, we're just under some kind of curse here or something. You know, I must have done something. Listen, dude, you're not under a curse. The Bible says that Jesus Christ in the book of Galatians has, in the past, redeemed us from the curse of the law of sin and death. He's redeemed us from the curse. He's broken every curse. He's broken every power of the enemy. You're not under a curse. Now, you can believe you are and live like you are, and that's wrong. Do you get that? So stop buying them books and feeding them lies. How to, seven ways to break generational curse. You no, know, it would be seven ways to break my checkbook by feeding you. Fear sells a lot of books. Don't get caught up in that stuff. And so you're not under a generational curse. Can you just say a good amen? I'm not under a generational curse. I won't tell you what you are under. You're under a generational blessing. You, you're, you, you know, you're, you're under the blessing of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, my heart, and the reason I do this is I, my heart is I just want you to know the truth that you live out of that. Now, would you stand to your feet? And... Um, can, can I just do something a little bit different today? It's 12 o'clock. We're good. Can you just come down front, everybody that will, you know, participate? Just, I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to hold you, but just a minute. I just want you to come down as a family church today. Just come stand in the altar together, and, uh, and I want to pray over you before you leave. Listen to me again. Somebody in here today, don't number your soldiers. Don't look at this insufficient number ledger in your checkbook is the way it's going to be. Don't look at the diagnosis and say that's just the way it is. It's just the way it's going to be. Uh, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, Little Jeannie, <laughs> I saw you last night in the Lord. Uh, it's my sister-in-law. I hate doing this because you're going to start crying. I probably will too, so here we go. And, of course, it's really hard for me to ever speak a word to anybody that I know as well as I know her. Uh, but I can't not do it just because we can, <laughs> you know. But I just want to say to you, I just saw you, just, I saw this little deal, and I just felt like Lord wanted me to encourage you today, and I, I'm, I'm going to do it publicly. I could have easily done it, you know, when we go eat here in a minute or whatever, but uh, Crawford would have got on to me, so I love you, Crawford, pal. Uh, 
I told him I probably wouldn't do half the stuff I'd do if he wasn't behind me encouraging me and prompting me. But anyway, uh, Jeannie, I, I just saw like a classroom setting. I'm, I'm just telling you where I saw it. I saw you kind of like sitting in the back, and, um, and, and they were supposed to be, you know, uh, gifts and awards uh, given by the teacher. And, um, and so y you actually was getting your stuff together and standing up and actually fixing to go out the door because you didn't even consider yourself in the running. And, um, and I, in my little dream there, I saw the Lord, or I saw this teacher, which I was, to me, represented the Lord, just stopped you uh, at the door. And you was actually the one that was receiving all of the award. And the Lord says he's seen your faithfulness. He's seen your heart. And, uh, and, and and so it's here. I'm just declare it's here for you. And I, I, I just, you know, and then because we're so close, I'm going to have to live around you all the time. So in a good way, you know that. But, Jeannie, I did tell you I saw, I saw, I saw you heading out and God stopped you, girl. Don't don't give up. Don't don't give up. You be encouraged, okay? And and I just bless you with that. And I'm I'm so excited for what God's got uh, in store for you, okay? You know how much I love you, right? <laughs> okay. And uh, come, let's stretch your hand to Jeannie. Father, we thank you for the, the 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 spirit of prophecy to encourage, to comfort, and to lift and build up. And we decree that all the fullness that's in Christ Jesus is hers in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, there, there's so many of you guys that just don't realize. I, I don't think and I, I could get in real trouble because I can't have the time to name everybody. And then again, I don't know everybody's names. I'm, I'm just I'm just weak in that uh, deal. But Ken, just to see you, uh, you're such a fighter, brother. And you're an elder in this house. And, and, uh, and, and I just... Uh, and man, you have only you know what you've been through, and in uh, these past uh, months and years, really, back surgery and stuff, and and but every you know I was looking today, and and, and all the uh, the armament is decreasing, and, uh, you know it's just, the stuff's getting smaller, and uh, it ain't coming in with wheels now, <laughs> and and because uh, you have come in it was sitting in wheels, and and Ken, I, I just pray complete uh, full restoration and healing in your body in Jesus name and, 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 I, and I just I thank you for being such an example of faith to this house and to this church that you are an elder in and, uh, and I'm glad to serve with you brother and, uh, and, and the Lord I just feel God's heart to you so strong and you don't I mean to me you just I looked over at that left out of that peripheral and I saw you just you stood there the whole time man and worship and just praising God and and I can you know you're vocal and I can hear you and man that's an encouragement to me uh and I think it is to the rest of these people too brother so we we love you um and I just wanted to say that I just I don't know if that's a prophecy but it felt good um to say that I want you to lay hands on Ivory, and Ivory, we can...
and I'm telling you, you're looking at a guy that fasted and prayed for many of those things, and they're not there. Amen.